Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 46. Hello, hello. Hello. So today we've got Dr. James Scott Wright. How are you? Good. How are you, dear Rachel? You doing okay? I'm doing great. Good. Um, it's just you and me today. Uh, we're going to miss Scott a lot. Miss Scott. You're Scott. We're going to miss Ryan a lot. Um, and he may be lurking in the background as he sometimes does on the days that he can't broadcast. But he's had a little domestic uh, situation with the pipes. So oh. he's okay. Everybody's okay. We hope the house is going to be okay. But uh, <laughs> we're going to uh, let him take care of that rather than be here today. Yep. 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 Good. But we'll, we'll do well without him, right? We'll do our best. We'll do yes, our we, best. Yes, we will. All right. So uh, as we're letting people stream in, I know we've got a lot of pre-asked questions. Uh, so we can definitely go through some of those. And then I also wanted to um, show some people some really cool things happening in Mapped. Um, it was a big day today in Mapped. Yep. Yep. It was. So if you guys want to bear with me, I'll turn on screen share and show you some fun stuff. Let me move that banner. All right. Look at that. Wow. So MAPT has a new look and feel. Um, we've made a lot of substantial changes, but just at the outset, as soon as you log in today, the first thing you might notice is just kind of a new clean look. Um, so we're really excited about this. Um, you know, we focused on making MAP functional when we first uh, built it, but now it's been about eight months and we wanted to go back and make it a little bit more intuitive. So we really have you guys to thank for this because every time somebody emailed me and said, Rachel, how come I can't find? I made a note of, hey, that's too hard to find. So sometimes you guys were so sweet. You were like, oh, I feel silly or I should have seen that. Like, no, it should have been obvious. And thanks to your feedback, we tried to make some of those things that you felt were kind of hiding a little bit more obvious. So I'm super grateful for the feedback. Um, one new feature I'm super excited about is this roadmap. So um, this is in beta, like many things, we're gonna give you what we've got now and keep adding to it. But as long as you go to your profile here, this little blue icon, and add yourself a med school target start year. So that's not apply year, right? So if you're applying in May, 2021, you're starting med school in 2022. If you put your med school target there, year there, then this timeline is going to populate with some big picture to dos that you should be doing each year or multiple years. And this goes all the way down to Boom. your white coat. Boom. Cool. 
Now, Dr. James Scott Wright, you were a huge part of this. Yeah. Um, You helped us write a lot of this text. Anything major here you want to kind of call out to students to be looking for as they're thinking this through? No, I think largely I think it was uh, it was fun to write it because it, it, it allowed me to think back to uh, stuff that I had experienced uh, when I was at uh, at the med school level and yep. uh, just seeing uh, seeing it laid out and, and, and describing those events, those things that they, that students need to be doing, why they need to be doing them. It was it was really exciting to 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 to, uh, to write all that. And so hopefully it'll be helpful. Great. Yep. All right. I'm going to show one or two more features and then we'll get to answering your questions. So the other thing I wanted to show you is here in courses, we've changed the course layout. So um, it's easier to add a new course now. For one thing, the button says add new course. <laughs> and there's some text here that ex- especially that I'll let you read in person, but essentially explains that now we've got the start of an algorithm here. So if you entered courses before and you didn't click <coughs> these boxes here for the science GPA and you think it's a science course, you still need to go in and check those manually. But going forward, if you enter a course, oh, let's test this live and see if it works. Let's say oh, the chemistry. Um, Maybe look for an organic chemistry. Oh, we'll do biochemistry. So if I enter a chemistry course, fulfills prereq biochem, just auto-populated automatically, and science GPA checked for all three. Now, if Excellent. this were a math course, it wouldn't check for the DO because that's BCP, right? So you all can still override this, right? So if you think we've guessed wrong, go ahead and change it, and uh, we'll make a note of it and try to make the algorithm better but we're trying to make your data entry a little cleaner and a little faster. Awesome. I know, right? I'm so pumped about that. (laughs) Um, Okay, and then one last thing, and then we'll get to Q&A. So the other thing I wanted to show you all is, uh, yes, I would like to continue without saving, is this application section. So this, we talked a long time ago about an application simulation, and that's what we're working towards. Um, I'll say it again, when in doubt, we give you what we can, when we can. This is not an application simulation yet. What this is now is an application overview. So you can click on each one of these three for the header you want. So it's on AMCAS right now, ACOMAS, there's Texas. When you click on it, what you get is an overview of what the primary application is gonna ask from you. So you can kind of start to plan to collect that data and then also a full simulation of the essays. Now that's been there for a while, but it's just a little cleaner and easier to look at now. So every possible essay that we expect the uh, applications to ask you based on last year's information is here. Um, We may see some updates in the next couple of weeks as the application processes open and we'll certainly update them. Um, So for example, some of you may have heard some legislation that's just passed that might start to limit some of these questions around felony and misdemeanor. So um, I don't know if that's going to take place this cycle or if it won't take effect till a future cycle, but when that changes, we'll change too. So we'll keep on top of it with you. Now that doesn't get rid of having background checks or anything. It doesn't mean you don't disclose. It just means the disclosure might come at a different moment in time. Um, But so all that's here and you can still do drafts and Hopefully everybody remembers this, but when you do drafts, you can make comments and you can even invite your advisors to come look at this and make comments too. So fun stuff happening in Matt. 
Oh, you might be muted, Dr. Scott. Sorry, that was extraordinarily cool. Excellent. Yeah, I'm so pumped. Yep. Oh, there's Ryan saying, hi, friends. This is Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We got a bunch of questions asked in advance, so I'm going to start picking through some of those. Okay. Is a patient safety sitter considered a clinical job? It involves observing patients in the hospital who have a high risk of harming themselves or falling to make sure they are safe. Yeah, I would say definitely that's clinical. Uh, you're dealing with patients in a in a healthcare setting, and uh, I would say absolutely. Yeah, for I sure. So yeah. Right. For sure. Easy peasy. Mm. Yeah. All right. Next one. How should I handle talking about the same experiences in my extracurricular versus personal statement? My personal statement includes three stories which will relate to my three most meaningful experiences, but I don't want to simply say the same thing in both parts of my application. Yeah, I think you have to, you know, this is part of what we we really talk about quite a bit for, in uh, at MAPT, and that is, uh, the the personal statement does not need to be sort of a resume of what you've done, and uh, and and we we really encourage students to tell the story of where they where this where this idea of going to med- medical school is coming from, uh, what it's all about for them, and and there will be some overlap between what you've done and have talked about in your in the uh, activities. Uh, section and in you know potentially what you're talking about in the personal statement there could there could be some overlap there what you're not going to do necessarily in the personal statement is tell a lot tell the same level of story or um or or go into it in in as much detail but i definitely think that there there you know is potential to be some overlap and what you want the two to to do is to be consistent. So if you're if you're really emphasizing a point such as, you know, your activities related to underserved populations, then you want that to be consistent with what what the reader or the admissions committee member is seeing in your in the um, uh, activity section of your of your application as well. So I don't think you should necessarily. Um, feel bad about having some overlap there uh, as long as you're you're really sending the same message that your agenda is the same with with those uh, with w- when you do that great all right uh, let me find the next one okay a couple more pre-asked and then we'll get into live okay uh, I have a 4.0 GPA 510 MCAT good clinical experience and other ECs congratulations that's great yeah yeah. Uh, I'm a non-trad with a three-year-old, so I have limited funding to apply. I have to be careful with school selections. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, here it is. How closely should I look at the MCAT data for schools I'm applying to? Should I even use that to narrow down my list to what I can afford? Yeah, this is a really good question. I think it's 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 very relevant to where a lot of uh, applicants are, particularly when it comes to uh, finances. Um, I think that you you know, really want to concentrate on not so much what the what the medical schools or what the MSAR suggests is the median MCAT of the schools that you're interested in, but focus in on that 10th percentile, that 25th percentile to look and see where is the body of, uh, 
of, of these uh, students that are going to that institution, where are they relative to that MCAT score? And, uh, and really focus in on, uh, you know, institutional fit. Uh, we, we say this a lot, but I really emphasize that because, you know, you don't want to end up applying, you know, wasting, you know, quote, wasting uh, some of your finances on, on schools where you don't have a, a good institutional fit, where there's not this, this passion to, you know, go to X school or Y school or whatever. So I, I think I understand the, the question and the, the emphasis that, uh, that you don't want to waste your, your, you know, the precious few uh, that you have, uh, but really emphasize to you uh, to this uh, questioner is to not focus so much on the MCAT score, but focus more on uh, what are the other intangibles that you're really interested in for that institution, and then and then go for it. Uh, you know, don't don't be hesitant to to apply to schools that you're interested in that uh, may seem you know somewhat out of reach in terms of MCAT score. Uh, you won't know until you apply whether you're going to get in. So you got to the, the 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 as I've said many times before the the only guarantee that I know of in the admissions process is that if you don't apply, you're not going to get in. So, you know, keep focused on on the schools that you're interested in. Uh, look at that 10th percentile for the MCAT score. Look at that 25th percentile and, and see see where you fit and then, uh, and then go for it. That's my suggestion. Yep. 100% agree. The one thing I'll add is if you're feeling money conscious, um, one is, I don't know if you thought about the fee assistance program. Maybe you've already applied for that. Obviously, that can help with the primaries. Um, and then also, um, you know, we, we've talked about this a lot about looking at private out-of-state schools versus public. And obviously, private schools are really expensive, but a lot of public out-of-state schools have funding set up to have very limited out-of-state acceptances. So it doesn't mean you can't apply to them, but... You know, I would think very strategically, like going back to what Scott was saying about institutional fit, think very strategically about those because, you know, some of them, it's just going to be harder just because of the residence question. Right. Very right. Okay. Here we go. One more. Oh, no, two more pre-asked. Okay. I will not have my MCAT score by the time I apply in mid-June. Should I only submit my primary to one school for verification and then add the rest if my MCAT turns out okay? I'm planning on taking an MCAT on June 4th. Yeah. So we talked about this, I think it was last week yeah, where so. we, we talked about this and you know, the, the verification process isn't going to start until you've submitted. And if you don't know exactly which schools you're going to be applying to, uh, you know, and if that MCAT score is going to going to somewhat dictate that for you, then I think it's reasonable to get in line for for those uh, for that verification process. And uh, and then you can add schools later. So I would say, yeah, go for it. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's a pretty well-known strategy at this point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, last pre-asked, and then we can start throwing things up on the screen. So after submitting your primary application, when is the best time to go on vacation during the application cycle? I'm planning on submitting my AMCAS application ASAP and pre-writing my secondaries. Good. Ideally, yes. I'd rather not go away when I'm expecting to receive secondaries or interview dates. Yeah, that's, you know, a very good point. And I think it, it, 
you know, it really emphasizes the timeline here, which is varies according to the medical school and, and according to when when your application gets completed. And uh, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of variables that fit into this into this thing. Now, it, it, it depends a little bit on when you say vacation, how long that is. I mean, if you're if you're going to go on a, a month, a month long vacation, which, you know, kudos to you if you can do that. But number so but if you're if you're only going for a couple of weeks, I would say the earlier in the summer, the better. Uh, you can you can pre-write a lot of those secondaries and and get them in and and uh, but uh, I would say go for it at as early as possible in the summer so that you leave the the end of the summer and the fall for for interviews. So I, I would say you know if you're going to submit in early June, uh, sometime in June would be would probably be the best time. Yep. Uh, what do you think is the ideal time for turning around secondaries from when you get them? Uh, well, gosh, that's a good point. That's a good question. It depends a little bit on the, on, on what all questions are, but I would say turnaround time should be pretty quick, uh, mm-hmm. on, on secondaries. I would say try to, you know, set a goal for, um, a week maybe. Yep. Uh, yeah. That would be reasonable. Five to seven days too. Yep. Yeah. That's why we pre-write. Yep. All right. Exactly. A lot of questions coming in. Oh, yeah. Hi. How is psychology, sociology research viewed in comparison to basic science slash clinical research slash other research? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously not viewed as bench research. It's going to be viewed as, um, you know, we, we have, we've had this a lot uh, in my experience over the years where somebody did, uh, you know, th- this a good example of a crossover is neuroscience, where mm-hmm. some neuroscience research is, is is basic is as basic as it gets. Other neuroscience research can 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 really go into more cognitive learning, behavioral type stuff, as opposed to what what this questioner says is basic science or or clinical research. And so, um, but it's not going to view it's not going to be viewed negatively. It's not going to be viewed as the equivalent, uh, but it's really all about how you talk about it. Uh, it's going to be a lot about what you're saying uh, you've done and what the meaning of that was for you. So I, I, de- I you definitely shouldn't shy away from talking about it, emphasizing it. Uh, if this is something that you're strongly connected with, I, I have one applicant I'm working with right now who has done quite a bit of research in uh autism and uh and uh and it's fascinating stuff and uh i'm you know she she's really talking a lot about this i think her she has a sibling who's autistic and so it's really meaningful to her it's very directly related to her and her uh move movement forward in terms of the application process etc and so i'm i definitely think that she should be uh you know talking about it for sure sorry i started pre uh screen share prematurely agree with all of that and somebody asked this question and I was like oh great I can show off mapped again Mm -hmm. so the question is do adcoms typically search applicants on social media or would that only happen if you were to put those handles on your application 
So we've talked a lot about like, what's the likelihood and the likelihood is typically considered not high, but I'm scrolling down here in this application simulation. I'm putting this because, you know, we took this information, we're basing it off of what the AAMC provides Mm -hmm. and they make a point of saying one, you do not need to list any social media handles in your application. And two, we still reserve the right to use it as part of a holistic review. Yep. Yep. Um, Definitely. And, and, you know, this is a good point. We live in a world that is social media central. You know, every, everyone's on social media, you know, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, you know, people are on social media a lot. And so I just, you know, my, my recommendation typically is to just be careful with what you say on social media. Not as much, ex- for example, expressing political opinions or something like that, but just uh, it's all about professionalism. Mm-hmm. It's about showing that you recognize what professionalism is and that you are aware that the things that you say have an impact. And so if you are trashing somebody in your class or if you're you know, trashing people uh, that, you're, uh, that you're familiar with or whatever, then you, you just need to be careful about that and, and be aware that there is a potential uh, that uh, schools are going to uh, look you up and, and, and see that. So just, uh, just be aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing I always worry about is um, I don't even know. Please, please be kind to me, young people. The Finsta, is that it? Um, like people get this idea that they have anonymous accounts, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you know, my mom knows about my Insta, but like I got the real Finsta. Or maybe it's the other way, whichever one, I don't know. Um, that stuff is not as secret as you think it is. People mm-hmm. take screenshots. People are petty. Like I just, my rule of thumb for, for social media is if I wouldn't say it to like my mom you know, to a mm-hmm. boss, to a crowded yep. room. Yep. But I'm not going to put it there. Yeah. And that, like, like Scott said, that doesn't necessarily mean not politics because I do have some politics on mine. But, you know, y- y- you just got to think carefully about could this be, could I say this anywhere? Misconstrued. Or, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely right. All right. Let's keep trucking. Do medical schools look down upon taking courses at an alternative college, not a community college? I don't know if I'm familiar with this phrase. Alternative college, you mean? Yeah. I think I think it just uh, my my interpretation here is that that this questioner is just asking about their like they're going to UC Riverside oh. and they're going to go to UC Irvine for a couple small of a alternative, not capital yeah. A alternative. Yeah. I'm yeah. like what, like Nirvana? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and and oh. the answer to here is 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 no. I think that. Uh, they do not look down upon that. There may be a question about why are you, you know, you, you took physics at X college, then you took physics too at Y college. You know, what was that all about? But generally speaking, I think admissions committees recognize that there's going to be, um, you know, particularly in the world that we live in, summers, people go home from college, they take a, a class at a, at a college nearby or they're, the schedule's not working out for them to take, you know, physics one at their institution. So they'll take it another institution. So uh, now this could be a, this could affect 
the degree program you're in. So you always want to check it with your academic advisor at your institution to make sure that they, they allow you to go to take another class at another institution. So be very careful about that. But in terms of the medical schools, I don't think that that's going to be an issue. Great. Is there a good guide on how to report your foreign language skills? I speak Russian well and read and write, but I'm not 100% fluent. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And this has come up before. Um, and I'm trying to recall what, I think one time at the Texas Application Service, we were talking about this. And I'm, I'm going to look up the, the definition Of the word fluent, and this this came up when we were talking. It says um, fluent, according to this is uh, Oxford Dictionary, uh, able to express oneself easily and articulately. A fluent speaker and writer on technical subjects, for example. So I, I think it's 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 the idea of capturing. Uh, the ability to flow with the language yes. uh, is, is, is fluency, and it is comprehension and flow. Right. And um, so my understanding is that people understand that fluent is not the same as native speaker. Correct. Right? So fluent yep. is considered a step essentially below that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I'll say as someone who is hyper fluent in English is – um, I am technically considered fluent in Spanish. I'm I'm rusty, but I've got I don't know fifteen thousand words or so in Spanish. Fluency is usually ten thousand, um, mm-hmm. but I have seventy thousand or so in English. So I don't feel fluent in Spanish to me. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Fluent, but like like a fifth grader, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I could not try to practice medicine. I could not do pre-med advising in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes we feel that. So I would say don't don't sell yourself short, but it's good that you're also not trying to overstate the case. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I'm a non-trad student who will be applying for next year's cycle with a cumulative GPA under the 3PO cutoff, likely about 2.9, but a very high post-bac slash science GPA. I will complete it all of my prereqs by the time I submit my application. If I take extra courses in the 2022-23 school year to bring my cumulative GPA up, will medical schools see those grades? Or would I be better served focusing on clinical work instead? Okay, lots to unpack here. Yeah, yeah, there is a lot to unpack. Yeah, I mean, I think basically the way I understand this question is is that they're asking once the application is submitted, are they going to are they going to be able to see? other courses that you've taken after that submission date and what you've done on those courses. Do you interpret it that way, Rachel? Yes. Yeah. And the answer to that is basically no. Uh, the GPA that you get that is calculated by AMCAS is going to be your GPA. That's what they're going to see. That's what, that's what they're going to be working off of. And so, um, you know, number one, kudos that you're doing so well and you're post back. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, excellent. I I think, uh, you're doing the right stuff and, uh, and, you know, keep, keep up the good work, keep up the strong work in, in the, in the post-bac program. Uh, the medical schools are not going to see grades in that, in that application 
uh, year in that application cycle year. And so I wouldn't, I would say probably better to focus on clinical work instead, mm -hmm. since it's going to have a, you know, potentially a, a, a broader uh, amount of, uh, of impact. But keep in mind also that whatever you're doing in that application year, you're not really going to be able to submit updates about any of that stuff. Right. So you're going to have to just, you know, they're going to go with whatever they got in the application itself. That's what they're going to be basing all their decisions on. Right. Yeah. The, the, the phrasing of would I be better served focusing on clinical work instead leaves a lot open for interpretation because mm -hmm. it doesn't say how much clinical work is already happening. Right. And it's the same thing. I mean, you are allowed when you, um, when you enter your hours to project how many you're going to get. But if, if you just started last week or you haven't started yet, and then you're going to start your clinical post application, like that's, that's not a good look. Right. Um, so, and right. also it's going to mean, how are you going to write essays if you don't have experiences? Right. Um, so bigger problems. Um, right. But I'm, I'm not assuming you said that I'm just saying you leave it open. So I think we're kind of, I think working on the assumption here that you've got some clinical and you want to keep it up. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out here is just in this first line, with a cumulative GPA under the 3.0 cutoff, who, who's cutoff? Yeah. What, yeah. what cutoff? Yeah. Um, that is magic myth, my friend, unless you have a specific school that's told you that's a cutoff. Yeah, agreed. You know, I, I think this is a very common myth that there's a cutoff that says if you're not above 3.0, that you're not going to get looked at. And I don't think that's accurate, particularly for students who have, you know, trend lines that are that are different than that, that have post-bac classes, that have uh, graduate school classes. I mean, there's a lot of factors that, that are going to affect how they're going to look at a GPA and, and what they're going to do with students who have a certain GPA or whatever. And so, no, I, I don't think that, I, I agree with you, Rachel. I do not think that there's a cutoff that's, that's like that. It certainly doesn't work that way in my, in my view. So good news. You're wrong now. Yeah. I mean, isn't that delightful to hear? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Uh, when writing activity descriptions, can I abbreviate my position in the description of if the position name is already in the title or do I need to write it out again? Yeah, in order to save uh, character space, absolutely. So a good example, you know, probably the best example of this is EMT. You know, I was an EMT for a certain number of, you know, months or years or whatever. And so all the way through the description, you can you can abbreviate EMT. Same thing for patient care technician or uh, CNA or, you know, anything that's a common abbreviation that you've already covered in the in either the title or in the uh, description itself, absolutely, you can you can uh, uh, abbreviate that, and that's going to save you some some space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and go check like the Oxford rules or whatever. But I think right. the idea is you say emergency med tech parentheses EMT, and then after that you can say the EMT the whole way through. Yep, I think that's kind of the etiquette. But yeah, but check yep. me because that's like a legalese thing, and I don't know if that's actually a grammar thing. Um. All right. Ooh, long one. I'm currently working on a project that aims to increase seniors' participation at my city senior center. That's nice. Conducting a research project on how going to the senior center and participating in the various activities improves well-being and mental health overall. The study is six months and involves 20 seniors in the experimental group and 20 in the control. Can this be counted as research hours? 
Um, I would say yes. <clears throat> I would say, you know, obviously this kind of goes back to the question we had a little bit earlier about, about um, research hours that are not basic science. But I, I definitely think now, unless <clears throat> this is part of, and I don't remember if it said this or not, if it was part of a, um, a class that you're taking, you know, you have to be a little bit careful. If it's a part of a research project that you're doing for class, then you have to be clear that this is w what it is that you're doing and what's the context for doing it. But this sounds, you know, very interesting. So I, you know, I would absolutely say this would fit in into uh, research. Okay, great. Ooh, sticky one. Hello. Is there solid consensus about splitting scribing hours between clinical experience and shadowing? I've heard both opinions. I'm not sure if it would be viewed negatively by adcoms if I decide to do so. Well, as with, as with a lot of different things in the application, I think that you have to be clear on what you're doing. If you're going to split the hours between clinical experience and shadowing, and, and, and honestly, if you've gotten what you consider clinical experience as a scribe, that's fantastic. You know, I, I know that does occur depending on the physician that you're working with. Uh, they, you know, may have, have really taken you under their wing and really showed you a lot of stuff and you, you had a lot more than maybe the typical scribe does. So as long as you're consistent with what you're doing, as long as you're very clear with what you're doing and explain it in the description or, or if it's the most meaningful, if, you're, if you talk about it in the most meaningful part and you're very clear on that you're splitting it between the two because you did X, Y, and Z, and uh, then, then I think you should be fine. Great. And we've got a really similar question here, so I'll read that through and let you... Mm -hmm. uh, give interpretation. I'm a surgical technologist. I was wondering if the interoperative time while the surgeon's in the room can be considered shadowing. I recently listened to one of the podcast episodes that talked about how clinical research coordinators can consider some of their hours to be shadowing. So I thought maybe the same logic can be applied to my job. Yeah, I mean, again, you're you're sending a message with every everything that you write in the application. You're sending a message. You're you you have to have an agenda with that part of the application that says this is what I want to get across. And so, if in as a technology as a what was it a, a um, some interoperative kind of te interoperative technology oh, no, surgical surgical, yeah, surgical technologist. <laughs> as long as as long as you're clear of what you're talking about. Uh, same thing with it with the previous question. As long as you're clear and that you're, you know, this is you're you're determining this to be clinical, but you're also including it as shadowing because you were there participating with the with the surgeon, et cetera. Just be clear with how you're how you're talking about it, so that the admissions committee is going to be is going to understand kind of what your message is here. But again, this is this is your application. You're the one who were, was in the room. You saw what you saw. You were doing what you were doing. So you just be clear with that. And uh, and then I think, you know, then then as always, the admissions committee member or the, the reader of your application is going to make judgments about whether they agree or not. I mean, that's always going to be the case. And so you just need to make sure that you're clear on what your what your agenda is 
in including that the way that you want to include it. Right. So I'll I'll be Ryan for a second since Ryan's not here today. Uh, go Gators. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so Ryan would be quick to remind you that while though that that you know, I, he would agree that you could consider that shadowing as long as you're not double dipping and you're being really clear. Ryan always likes to make the point that shadowing should be separate from any clinical experience because he sees shadowing as shadowing the entire doctor day experience. So mm-hmm. not just the patient time that you get while you're cooperating, but also tedious time on the phone with insurance companies and doing paperwork. And, um, you know, what we've heard is that some students say like, oh, my doctor just showed me all the cool parts with patients and then sent me on my way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I would argue that maybe you're not getting the full shadowing experience then. Right. So in my opinion, I think you should count this and I think you should still you know, you've got access to all these wonderful surgeons. I would ask one of them, can I sometime on a day off come follow you and see yeah. some of the other parts of your job yeah. just agreed. to cover all your bases? Um, but but yeah, I would count it. Yeah, agreed. All right. I can go back to not liking Florida now. I'm done being Ryan. Yeah, I like Florida <laughs> fine. That was, sorry. It's a little dig at Ryan, not the whole state. <laughs> My bad. Is the formula to calculate GPA and MAPT the same one the application services use? Yes. And in fact, that's why there are six formulae uh, or more, really. So one for each of the three central application services and one for each of the three central application services science GPA. Um, So uh, actually, if you go into MAPT, I'll, I'll spare you all yet another demo, but um, that's always been the case, but we now have, um, some some links to some of the places that we make that calculation so you can see it. And um, all the stuff that the application services do, that's all public. You know, they explain exactly, you know, when an A-plus doesn't count and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, why a W is zero. And, you know, all of that is really mm-hmm. detailed. Who, who does plus and minus and who doesn't? Um, so we just, we follow all of that so that you can see when you enter your courses and mapped exactly what your GPA is going to look like with the service. Exactly. And keep in mind that that is not the GPA that you're going to see on your transcript. Uh, The GPA you're going to see in transcript is from that institution only. Uh, So you're going to see a a, a potentially a GPA that is slightly different. So if your cumulative GPA at your school is a 3.7, you may find that the the mapped uh, calculation of your GPA uh, for AMCAS is maybe a 3.7. Six nine, or it might be a three point seven two, or it might be slightly different because of those calculations. For example, using pluses and minuses, or if you're converting from a uh, quarter system to a semester system, uh, etc. There there could be a lot of different reasons why that may may appear a little bit differently. Right. Yeah. So even if you only went to one school, which I mean, these days isn't actually that common, but if all of your grades are on one transcript, the grades still not be, may not be the same. And we had somebody the other day, I was so proud of them. Um, they started their uh, undergraduate experience, I think back in 2000. So here it is 20, 21 years later. Um, and they're, they're doing a post back now. So he got all of his data entry in from like, I think he said five different schools. So, I mean, this was really the first time he'd seen a truly cumulative mm-hmm. GPA, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, nice to do a dry run of it and mapped before you find out from the application services what it is. Agreed. Completely agree with that. All right. Hello. 
Dr. Wright, when you speak about the last 45 credit hours of science courses, does that include science labs or just the theory classes? No, I, I think it includes labs. And so the, the point of this 45 credit hours, I've talked about this a lot, particularly for post-bac students where they're trying to uh, repair their GPA a little bit. And, and so my, uh, my, um, my recommendation is somewhere around 45 hours of science classes, hard science classes, is what you want in order to show improvement or an increased trend or whatever. And that would include science labs as well as the theory. Yes, absolutely. All right. Non-trad here. I have a ton of credit hours, and I want to know when is the time to stray from focusing on GPA, currently about a 3.23, to focusing more on other parts of the application, clinical and cut. Yeah, this is a really good question. And, you know, what I would say is um, you have to kind of uh, do both. <laughs> uh, you know, part of, part of this process is seeing what you can do in a in a real world situation uh, with multiple competing sort of uh, you know needs and, and, and desires and and, and uh, so I, I would say keep in mind that that you're going to really need to look at that and uh, and focus on 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 everything as much as possible balancing it all out clearly but uh, you can't you know you can't just like take a year off and just study for the MCAT alone because you're not going to have that ability in med school or thereafter to just, you know, drop off the map and, uh, and concentrate on one, one thing as opposed to the variety of other things that you're, that you're doing. Yeah. And I know some of the text is kind of small, but if you see here on this timeline that we've created, we talk about academic success. In this example, the student wants to go to med school in 2023, that happening and not stopping. And then you layer into it, you're volunteering, you're clinical, you're shadowing, you're MCAT mm -hmm. prep. Um, mm -hmm. So what, what we kind of hope is that, yeah, wow. you will, as Dr. Wright said, balance them all. What we tend to say is get the academics down first. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you, you mentioned the GPA, you didn't mention upward trend. Um, you know, so if you still feel like you're in the middle of working on an upward trend, maybe it's not a great time. To add in other things because if you're if you're trying to really work hard to scrape every a you can maybe that's what you need to give all your time to yeah um but clinical is not the end of the to-do list right? right clinical that's is right. about gaining experiences to prove to yourself that you want to be a doctor so you need time to prove that to yourself and reflect and a lot of those meaningful experiences are going to be part of personal statement activity descriptions yeah. interview questions so you you want that to be ingrained in you, and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be last. Yeah, agreed. All right, okay, longish one. Hello, I graduated nursing school, but it was a certificate program at a trade school, not really transferable credit. Yep, that happens sometimes. Yep. Uh, GPA was three point oh. My med school will not take the credits. Right. I'm also worried about bringing down bringing it, it bringing down my GPA because I'm currently to three eight. Am I required to include these grades in my application? If so, how will the med schools view this type of training? 
Yeah, this is a good question. You do indeed have to include those in your in your application. They're transcripted. Uh, whether or not the uh, school was accredited or, um, as you put it, a trade school, uh, is going to uh, be viewed by the by the medical schools. They're not going to take those as uh, meeting prerequisites, for example. And so, what you have to do is you you include them on there. The effect is going to be whatever the effect is in terms of the effect on your on your GPA, for example, and uh, and and then you know you just have to move forward with it. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna affect things absolutely, but you have to uh, just keep in mind that uh, everything you've ever done uh, post secondary has to be included in the application. Correct. Is it all right to include presentations and publications in my research activity to conserve on the number available, or is it better to list them separately? Yeah, this is a really good question, and it, and it deals with the, the issue primarily on AMCAS of only having 15 slots. Texas and, has unlimited. Yeah, unlimited in Texas and unlimited in ACOMAS as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and absolutely, I think that that's a good way to do it. Uh, it is perfectly okay to include presentations and publications that you did in research activity uh, with other things. So if you're including, if you're talking about the research activity, you know, you don't have a whole lot of space, but you, you know, you can say I, I had a post poster presentation with this, you know, on X date or whatever, or you can uh, include a citation of the uh, paper, the uh, publication uh, as it was. Uh, now, you, you I, I would say also that that sometimes the citations can be pretty lengthy, and so I I don't think that in my opinion um, that you need to feel like that you have to give the entire citation as it's as it is indicated in some of the some of the research journals and stuff. Uh, you can just say I ha- I've been um, for example you could say something akin to um, I uh, a paper that I wrote was accepted for publication in X journal. It is now pending, or it was accepted and published in uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, in January of two thousand, you know, one or whatever date. And uh, and so then give enough information that if the reader or the admissions committee member wanted to look it up, that they would have enough to do that. So I, I don't think you have to list them separately. Yeah. No. All right. And then we have a really similar question um, about combining ECs. Mm-hmm. So in this case, it was food banks. Um, if I worked at two food banks or two free clinics, could I combine that into one activity? Yep. Oh, yeah, so, definitely. So yeah, mm-hmm. Same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. But only on AMCAS because you don't have to anywhere else. Yeah, that's right. Well, you still could. You just you got more space. You don't have to. Up. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. All right. I have some W's in my transcript. When I enter it in Map for Science courses, should I check doesn't meet science requirements? Right. We've actually got that built into the algorithm. So, um, well, I should make sure that with the push we had, the programming still there. But the way it's meant to be programmed is that if you have um, a C minus or lower, so C minus D, F, or a W, and you enter fulfills prereq, that it won't actually change your prereq graph because you have to have a C or higher. Right. Um, 
but yeah, you can also avoid that by, um, by just not checking the prereq. Right. Good question. There's a lot of good questions tonight. Oh yeah. They're coming thick and fast too. <laughs> uh, I don't have any shadowing hours, but I have six years worth of clinical experience working in the emergency room. Should I be worried about not having shadowing on my application? I'm a non-traditional student. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I don't think that you need to worry too much about that. Um, six years worth of clinical experience is going to be uh, viewed as, as much more um, beneficial to what to to the overall experiences that you've had. So I would say. Should I worry about not having shadowing on my application? No, I don't think that that's, uh, that's something that you should necessarily worry about. Uh, and, and I, I would just say what you, you know, what you might want to try to do over the course of the next month or so, if this is the year you're applying is, is if you know some of these physicians from the emergency room, just try to pick up a couple of shadowing opportunities uh, within the next month or so. But otherwise, I, I, I really don't think you, you should be enormously concerned about that. I think it's going to be a little different than maybe some of your peers in terms of what they're going to see on the application. But it sounds like you've got extensive exp clinical experience. And so I, I think that that's obviously a much, much uh, better in my view than, than shadowing. Yeah, but they both matter. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, and again, you know, I do agree with this, but I know Dr. Gray feels strongly, so I like to like hold up his side when he's not here. Um, the reason he often talks about the importance of clinical separate from shadowing is that ideally you're getting some shadowing that is more than the patient interaction. So you're right. getting a chance to look at the other parts. Um, right. You know, in the examples I always use, I think maybe 15 minutes ago I used this, was yep. tedious phone calls with insurance, long, boring paperwork. Yeah. Um, and, yep. um, but, but yeah, I agree. Six years of clinical, you've got a lot. But, you know, even if you just pick up a couple, yeah, couple exactly. shifts of shadowing, probably be in exactly. great shape. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm going to pause and pat us on the back. This is awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Not a question, but you're all the highlight of my Mondays. That stuff makes me so happy. Thank you. Oh, me too. I love that. <laughs> all right. Can the different applications I bet Ryan put those on there. <laughs> <laughs> we are the highlight of Ryan's Mondays for sure. <laughs> okay. Can the different application services see how many schools you apply to? Can they see if you apply strictly MD or MDDO? How does that impact decision making? So this is a this is an interesting question. And the answer is it depends. So in Texas, Yes, they can see the schools that you're applying to. So if you're applying to all the schools in Texas or just a few, the, the schools are going to see where, where you're applying. And then they ask a question, are you applying AMCAS? If so, um, you know, what schools are you, you know, applying to? Uh, are you applying ACOMAS? If so, what schools are you applying to? Now, AMCAS, uh, my, my recollection is that AMCAS does not include that, so that, that if you're applying to, you know, 30 different schools on AMCAS, then the, each school is not going to know where else you're applying. Uh, and the same with ACOMAS, I, I, I believe that that's accurate. Rachel, you can yeah, I think that's stop right. me if that's wrong. wrong but uh, and so and and in particular, the 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 point here of the second part of the question is 
the the MDDO thing, and and I honestly don't think that matters. It, 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 for the for the for AMCAS and for ACOMAS, you, you, there there's not any crossover in terms of the MD schools are not going to know whether or not you're applying DO. The DO schools are not going to know whether you're whether you're applying MD or not, and so so it, it's it's not going to be something that the admissions committee. Uh, affects them in, in terms of how they're looking at your application, for example. No. Yeah. Go for it. Apply both. Yeah, agreed. I plan on starting a clinical job in May, right before submitting my application. Will this be seen as checking a box? I do have other clinical experience. Um, no, I, I mean... I think it depends a little bit on how you talk about it and what you say about it. Um, but if you've got this awesome clinical uh, opportunity and and you're you know going to include it in your application, then then go you know go for it and, and include it on there and talk about what you're doing and and even if it's a short lived thing so far, uh, I don't think it would necessarily be viewed as checking a you know, quote, checking a box. And so I wouldn't, I, and even if it is, what, what, what difference is that going to make to you in terms of how you're going to be presenting it to the admissions committee? Right. You know, uh, you're not going to not take that job just because somebody may view it as checking a box. And so I would just say, you know, go, you know, put it on the application, talk about it in the way that's appropriate, and then people will view it however they're going to view it. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to start med school for a year. You might as well get some experience and earn some. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, well, I always love to talk about questions like popcorn popping. Uh, I think our kernels have slowed down. Okay. It's uh, 52 minutes past the hour, so that works out pretty well. That's a nice, robust episode. Yes. Um, So, yeah, thank you, as always, everyone, for coming. Yeah. Uh, These are definitely some of the best parts of my week. Absolutely. Um, Same here. To, to hear all your questions and, and Same guide here. you guys. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be, uh, for some of you, I think it's things are going to get intense pretty soon. Yep. Um, yep. I, I don't know the current percentages, but I think maybe about a third of MAPT users are applying this May. So. Wow. Yep. It's going to be big. Exciting. It's very exciting. Nerve-wracking and exciting. Yeah, we'll be watching things. We'll be keeping you posted. Um, Definitely be keeping an eye on that feedback when you get, uh, I know everyone's been getting some feedback emails because we've been updating some of the existing feedback. We're going to work on trying to suppress those if the change is just cosmetic. But mostly if you get a feedback email, it means there's new stuff in there for you to read. So definitely be sure you guys are checking those emails and logging into MAP to see what's happening. Excellent. All right. Have a good week, everyone. Excellent. Take care, everybody. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.